yo, yo, we're back. Here we are. Is it work? It's working. We're set up. We talked Ready about. to go. Anyone that's still around after last week, you've made it, you're man. You're hardcore. Real, hardcore. The real listeners. fans, um, not <laughs> haters. We've we've officially weeded out all the haters. We've weeded out all. We've done it. Problem solved. Although you can never weed out haters, they're always there. Oh, good. And that does mean we get to talk about and it we, as much. Yeah, as that's we what I was thinking. Know. Wait, yeah, if yeah, we yeah. weeded out all the haters, we can't continue to talk about them. That's true. So exactly. We haven't weeded out exactly. all the haters, but yeah. um, we've come pretty close. So thank you for sticking around and being here. Yeah. Last a... week we talked about a uh, polit- political theology. Political theology. So thinking about your Go theology right into and that. politics. Yeah. And this week it's almost like we're doing a mini two-part series again. We're going to be talking about a theology of religion. So, wait, isn't religion the what? Isn't that redundant? I don't know. You have to keep listening to find out. So excited! (laughs) (laughs) If that—that's a hook, line, sink right there. You heard that, and you're you're locked in for the rest of the episode. So, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you're willing to give us a rating on the podcast app for Apple or um, on Spotify, that's always a huge help for us. Sure. Get the word out to more people. Give it a listen. Yeah, we've had random strangers check out the podcast and enjoy it which is always super super cool and fun so yeah if you enjoy it you've listened to more than two episodes at this point yeah give us five stars or whatever star you think is fitting <laughs> i would you've got it yeah i would let, su- let kindly them be, suggest be authentic with their reviews uh, a five star would be really appreciated but if you you know if you feel like ah, it's more of a 2.5 on a good day then you know you can round up to five speak your truth and round up to five and give us a five star <laughs> Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Excited to talk about a cool movie and about religions. All right, McManus Movie Corner. It's arrived. It's arrived. This one's a very wet, like a very watery one, I'd say. Involves a lot of water. A lot of water. Involves the ocean. Uh huh. Involves family. Involves finding your family. Finding your family in the hardest of times, which are also watery and submerged. <laughs> That's right. It's not Finding Nemo or Finding Dory. But it is all those things. It is all those things, for once. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, before I say the movie, just please, if you're going to laugh, just give us give us a minute, okay? So you may be here, you remember seeing the trailers to this movie, and you'd be like, really? They're talking about that? Yes, we're talking about this movie. It deserves your attention. The movie is... The biblical summer blockbuster <laughs> epic, Noah. 2014. 2014 with Russell, Russell Crowe. As soon as we said Russell Crowe, at first people were like, wait, they made a Noah Seriously? movie? Once with we said Russell, Russell Crowe, people were like, oh, I that remember. That one, I remember. yeah. I didn't see it, but I remember. Emma Watson's in it, too. Yeah, Emma, Emma Watson's Watson. in it. And Logan Lerman, I think, Yeah, was from it, uh, briefly. So you got Percy Jackson yeah. and Harry Potter in there. Best of both worlds, clearly. <laughs> Question mark? Best of both worlds? Uh, yeah, so Noah, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. Maybe this will make you interested in seeing it. But, uh, yeah, 2014 was directed by Darren Aronofsky, who is a very well-known director. He's done a lot of different movies throughout his career. Um, he is actually an atheist, which makes this very interesting. Quite, quite publicly. Very yeah. outspoken atheist, which also applies to our episode today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so it's really interesting to have an atheist make a movie on a Jewish slash Christian scripture about a flood story that most people are probably aware of, the story of Noah. So he looks at the story of Noah in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think his job, he doesn't view this as a historical event that he's trying to retell. He views it as sure. a myth, and so he's telling this mythological story. But I his, think in a way that tries to show a lot of respect to those of us who, who do hold true to this story, right? Um, who do identify with it on a religious level. I, I remember yeah. there was um, controversy when it came out because oh, yes. a lot of the sources he was using uh, to draw from were, were not you know, strictly biblical. A couple were apocryphal, mm-hmm. some was extra biblical. So like, he used the Book of Enoch a lot, yep. Yep. which I don't think any major Christian denomination really recognizes. As part of their uh, canon. Yeah, so that was, that was a big controversy when it came out. But yeah. I think it also showed that, that this director did his research, right? He wasn't approaching the story from one perspective. He was trying to bring in a lot of different sources who, who mm-hmm. talk about these biblical figures in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I thought I thought that that was something I could appreciate from the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, so. Yeah, there's this interesting piece that comes specifically from the Book of Enoch, where 
when Noah blesses his children, he speaks this blessing over them, which is a very Old Testament thing, happens a lot in the Old Testament. Um, he uses a snakeskin, and it's supposed to be the snakeskin from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Mm. He wraps it around his hand, and he blesses, which, you know, in traditional Jewish and Christian perspective, the snake is like the enemy, mm. and yet here we have Noah, the protagonist, the righteous man, using this dark, occultic imagery yeah. to bless. So it has a lot of this interesting thing that makes you kind of scratch your head and like, oh, what what's going on there? And that's imagery from the Book of Enoch, you said. Yeah, yeah. I think okay, so, yeah. so that's drawn from that. So what what were a couple of the the things that that drew you to this film that made you uh, interested in it? Yeah, well, obviously as a as a outspoken Christian, I'm always really curious to see what other people are thinking about this mm. story. I heard about some of the Enoch stuff. I heard about the way that he treats the Nephilim, which are this kind of mysterious biblical um, group An- of angelic almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the it's kind of the jury's out depending on who you ask. The Bible talks about the Nephilim, and they're these sons of God. So some people interpret them as these angelic beings. Some mm-hmm. people think of them as demonic. Some people think them as fully human. They're just like a, a different type of being. Um, Goliath, in the story of David and Goliath, is often considered to be a Nephilim. And so he's descended from these giants. So the way that Darren Aronofsky portrays the Nephilim is as these giant rock monsters, <laughs> which it has a very Lord of the Rings kind of vibe. Yeah, where you have these, like the ants. Yeah, they the, remind me. Yeah. yeah. And so these giant rock okay. monsters show up to help Noah, like, get the ark off like, the ground. build this boat the for fl- you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting. I would say it's just for the, just for the intrigue of, like, how are they going to interpret this? To me, it was worth watching it. It's just an experience. Wow. Um, I, I will think say it is a creative way to, to portray creative, these yeah. figures. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will say, even though this movie, I'm not necessarily going to full stop recommend this movie to you. I would say it's it's interesting and it's worth looking into. It has one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Maybe my favorite huh. movie scene of all time in it. And um, I guess I won't. I won't try to. I don't think it's a spoiler, but there is a part of the movie where Noah is sitting around the campfire with his family. And he, so with Russell Crowe, and you know, Russell Crowe has a nice voice, so he uses his his very dramatic, you know, Les Miserables, (laughs) not singing, thankfully, (laughs) because we learned he's not great at that. Um, He uses his very dramatic voice to tell the creation story. So he reads almost verbatim, uh, you know, Genesis chapters one and two, Uh and the way that the director visually represents the creation. You can actually look up this scene on YouTube. You don't have to buy the movie to watch this scene. Just look up Noah creation and it's amazing it's visually captivating and it i think it reconciles a lot of the conversation around science and religion and create like a lot of these arguments that have been going on for a long time for me this scene actually helped me kind of wrap it all into one and like huh. explain it it like wow. visually explains how i kind of think about this particular event so really interesting it's something that i did not expect going into the movie that i came out of it like wow that was actually and I, every once in a while i'll just go back to that scene and just enjoy it because it is really cool there's some parts of the movie it's like i don't know if that needed to <laughs> sure. be like i don't know if that conflict needed to exist i don't know if yeah did we need rock monsters helping move the ark i don't know but <laughs> that scene for me was definitely worth all of it and the interpretations of it were interesting so yeah. um how many uh how many rock monsters would you rate this film out of 10? Oh man, out of 10, I would probably give it a I would give it a 7 or a 7.5, 7, 7.5 rock monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is good. I hear is enough to get an arc off build the build a pretty big boat for you and your family. Yep, so. yep. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, I would say it's worth looking into. And the reason we wanted to highlight this movie is because it is it's kind of a melting pot of an atheist making a story about Jewish and Christian scripture borrowing from kind of gnostic occultic extra biblical resource it's like it's kind of this it's got, it's got everything it's, it's got, got it all. everything you would possibly want uh <laughs> except actors that ethnically actually represent the area that they're living in but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a fair point definitely that's a good that's a complaint is uh up. yeah uh you know probably weren't a bunch of white people in the ancient near east but yeah that's a conversation for today and another day so check out noah i give it seven and a half rock monsters out of ten uh maybe you maybe you will too it's worth worth checking out. That's the movie of the week. Now to get into our fun conversation. Woo. All right, let's talk about religions. Let's dive on in. So uh, last week we talked about 
political theology. Yeah, Patrick kind of walked us through of, of what that meant. Yeah, yeah kind it, of this. I'm stepping all over no, you. Sorry, it's great. No, it's like, great. like this this idea that you know whether or not you um, are aware of it, we all have a certain political theology that influences the way we make you know political and social decisions. Uh, the things we support, the things we oppose, the things we prioritize, all of that is, is a sense of political theology socially. Yes. Um, yeah, and I, I think I think it was a good conversation we had. We've gotten some pretty good feedback from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we're kind of, not really intentionally, but kind of continuing on that, on that trend. Yes. Uh, talking about religious theology, which yes. sounds a little counterintuitive when you first think about it but do you but want to dive it'll in it'll make sense i swear yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so just as patrick kind of asked us to consider hey what is your theology of politics and how does that inform who you are mm -hmm. i'm going to dig deeper and also kind of jump into kind of give you a crash course of the idea of comparative religions or mm -hmm. the the fundamental question how do religions interact with each other effectively right so I just kind of to, to set the stage, mm -hmm. uh, maybe if you're listening and you're Christian um, or you're Muslim or, um, or you're maybe non-religious but spiritual, wherever you stand on that, um, you know, you encounter people who think differently than you and have sure. different cultural, culturally informed religious understandings. Even within your own religion, like within Christianity, I know there's so much difference of opinion there's so broad there's a, a very spectrum. diverse amount of doctrine yeah yep. the same thing in islam there's so there's so many different schools and different interpretations in different uh -huh. areas of the world um also uh hinduism is one of the most diverse religions hmm. in the world there's so many different i mean each region has its own interpretation and own way that they practice this religion so within religions there's so much diversity but then even between religions you know how do these things interact so yeah We've seen in the United States both some really positive ways. An mm -hmm. example is like um, after 9-11, a lot of bad things happen, uh, as we talked about in an earlier episode. But yeah. one really cool thing that happened is a lot of like ecumenical prayer services happened with uh -huh. imams and um, pastors and priests all coming together and praying for the nation and praying yeah. for peace. Yep. Um, even recently, as we mentioned last time in some of the protests, uh, you know, Patrick and I went to a protest where... Or were you there? I don't know. Anyways. The, the religious one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Patrick and I yeah, went yeah, to a protest yeah. where it was an interreligious protest. So there were imams, rabbis, priests, and pastors all joining together to, to you know, speak out against racial injustice mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to come together as people of faith and recognize that we do have a, a place in this conversation and, yeah. and we're going to speak out about this. And so that was a really cool uh, thing. And that makes me think deeper about, oh, wow, like that's that's actually a good example. This is a way this can be done well. In a positive manner. Positive yeah, manner. Yeah. Well, what are the pitfalls with that? And what are some ways that maybe that um, can inform? It's the same thing. Everybody actually has an implicit theology of other religions. You maybe been taught it, it the by way, is that, the way So like the way up. you interact with people of other faith or the way you yeah. perceive them, maybe yeah. the assumptions you make about... Uh, truth in religion, that kind of thing. Is that that's kind of generally what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of your general posture towards whatever your religious claim is. I think obviously in this episode, I will be giving you my perspective as a Christian. Um, sure. So even speaking specifically, like for me as a Christian, you know, what is my perspective on someone who's Muslim? Is it mm -hmm. are they someone that is you know kind of really outside of this? notion of truth that I possess and I believe that they are you know kind of on this track for eternal punishment are they someone that I can collaborate with and actually learn about God from and mm. I shouldn't try to convert them or you know what is my what's my correct posture and yeah. as you in your career and your life and your job and you know education as you encounter people of different faiths what is your posture towards them are they a target of your you know proselytizing are they someone that you're avoiding like mm. how you act around and what your posture is towards someone of another faith actually t says a lot about your own faith and what you yeah. hold dear so that's why i want to kind of want to explore that and this is a specific academic field of study that um is kind of a semi-recent thing it's been pioneered a lot in the last few decades is the study of comparative religions so how mm -hmm. do religions mm -hmm. interact with each other so i want to kind of give you a crash course on that 
give you some things to think about and talk about some of these different truth claims and different things that uh, kind of are within popular culture and that you might have heard or that you might even think yourself. Yeah. So um, to start out, I think it's helpful to – a lot of the stuff that I'll be sharing is by a um, professor and theologian academic named Paul Knitter, and he – it's Knitter. It's spelled like – like knitting a sweater, uh-huh. and um, <laughs> he is a retired professor, but he has done a lot of work, and is one of the foremost voices on the study of comparative religions, okay. and so he actually even wrote a book specifically about, like, what Buddha taught him about Jesus and stuff like that, so he's really in this world of comparative religions. He's actually a Catholic theologian um, and scholar, Okay. and so he, hel- he lays out a very helpful um, model. It's a four-point model, so... Not to get super academic on you, but there's basically four, maybe five different postures that generally people fall into as far as how they perceive other religions. People people of faith, people yeah. of Christian faith, or people of any I generalized think, faith? I think this could apply to most faiths. Okay. I think uh, when he's thinking about it, it's specifically from a Christian or Catholic perspective. Sure. C- Catholics are Christians, but, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> specifically he's thinking of it as Catholic, but also Protestant. Uh-huh. Christian perspective, but I think there's pieces of it that could be applicable to anyone. And even if you don't have a specific faith you claim, I think it could still be a helpful paradigm to think about. So those four, um, and the reason I say four or five, one of them kind of has two branches, but there's four basic models. The first one, I'll just walk through the four and then we can kind of jump into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one is called the replacement model, and it's really common. It's probably what, if you're a part of like an evangelical church in the United States, it's probably kind of an implicit ideology that most mm. people have towards other religions. Okay. And it's very common in kind of a fundament- fundamentalist conservative evangelical tradition. Sure, um, sure. And so it's the replacement model. It's also like um, a lot of the nuance of it has been spoken by Karl Barth, a yeah, German okay, theologian. Yep. Um, but basically it's to say that the replacement model is, you know, Christianity is the one true religion um only true belief can be found in jesus and, and jesus is the you know final the, the authority jesus of the christian faith, jesus of the christian yeah. faith is the final authority on matters of salvation matters of god's revelation um and it in some depending on how you view it and this is where there's two different branches but mm. more even conservative people's holders of the replacement model would say there is no value in studying other religions mm. like we're not going to learn anything because we have everything in jesus right the final all it's like a complete replacement yes replacement that's why it's called the replacement model yeah. is jesus is the final final word there's no value there is kind of a more nuanced or maybe a little bit more progressive replacement model posture which would say um other religions might have access to God's revelation, so people might actually learn about God and, and, and experience God in another religion, but okay. they cannot experience salvation, you know. You can only experience salvation through Christianity, through the, the yeah. Christianity of Jesus, right? Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, how you yeah. can meet okay. God, essentially, is through... All right. And so that's probably I'm the most... I'm yeah, that's the first tier, is the most conservative approach. So either... Um, now, we're not talking, like, politically conservative. No, yeah, we're that's just good talking, to bring up. Yeah, like, religiously, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, in this in this discussion specifically, conservative is conserving you know these basic truths and not yeah. really straying from it. Liberal or progressive would be more open to other faiths and what they have to yeah. say. So the most restrictive or exclusive um, exclusive I think is a good word. It's you know the most exclusive claim would be the replacement model. So then you go to the next step, which mm-hmm. is called um, the fulfillment model. Mm. And so it's the idea that Christianity is a fulfillment of Judaism, right? So it's birthed out of Judaism. The first Christians were all, all Jews. Hmm. Um, and it's the idea that, okay, Christianity is kind of the, it's the addition and it's the final word on these things, but it's fulfilling something that was also true. So Jews... So Judaism had truth to it yes. from this model. There, there is truthfulness in it, mm-hmm. but Christianity was a fulfillment, like an addition to that truth. Yes. Okay. Um, and another example of that would be like, Um, You know, I think, not to put words in anyone's mouth, but I think like a Mormon would say, Hmm. Christianity, there's a lot of truth there. You know, people know Jesus, they know the scriptures, but we have a fulfillment. We have an additional revelation Hmm. on top of the Bible. And so we are a fulfillment of Christianity, of what Christianity's aims are. You know, 
I think a lot of mainline Muslims would probably say something very similar as well sure. for the other two Abrahamic faiths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and so that idea, it, it kind of goes a little bit beyond that um, replacement model to say that um, that faith and that truth can be found in other faiths. So it's saying, you know, even if I'm a Christian, I believe that someone could experience God in the Muslim faith or as a Hindu, that they could experience God, they could actually have access to his truth, they could, you know, live out these realities, even if they don't have the same way, the same channel that they've, that, you know, as an access to God that I do, and maybe they don't have this knowledge of Jesus who, you know, is is the authority that a Christian would say is the authority on matters of God and matters of yeah. faith and matters yeah. of salvation, that people can still access that through other faiths. Um, mm. And so it's kind of, it's more nuanced and it's what, it, it kind of views Christianity as a fulfillment of the seeking of God, but not as quite as an exclusive only way that someone could experience God. Um, and so it's kind of where we get this idea of, uh, people might say anonymous Christians. So. Mm someone and an anonymous christian would be someone who is a member of another faith but lives their life in a posture towards god and they maybe don't have the same access to christianity mm-hmm. and so they are actually fundamentally on the, at the foundation of christian even though that's not the cultural identity they would be given interesting it's just it's a intriguing phrase anonymous christian like yeah, I, yeah interesting um, and I promise I'll, I'll unpack more of this as we go. Oh, sure, I think I'm sure, just sure, trying sure. to lay the groundwork a here. Quick crash course. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's the fulfillment. Another thing that I'll mention a little bit later is, is that's actually um, the Catholic Church has actually kind of come to a posture that's a little bit more of a fulfillment posture. In one of their huh. major councils, they okay. kind of decided, they agreed upon that, hey, where formerly Catholicism used to say before the 60s that salvation and truth is only found in the church and only through Jesus— they then actually shifted that posture in one of their major councils to say that other religions can experience truth mm-hmm. and that other religions maybe have knowledge about God that um, that they don't have to be Catholic to, ha- to, to access. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting uh, posture. Another one is what's called the mutuality model. And I'll just be pretty brief on this one, but it kind of views that there's that every religion has some truth, some error, some mm-hmm. completeness, some incompleteness of, of their revelation or, or their view of God. Mm-hmm. And that basically we, basically we all have a piece of the puzzle. And if we all, we need to come together and help build the puzzle together. And that's how we're going to understand. So there's a mutuality. No faith is greater than another. They all have a piece of what it means to know God and experience uh, divinity. Uh-huh. And when we come together and sit around the table, we can... So this is getting not universalist, but much sure. more like open to... Uh, dialogue concepts mm-hmm. of faith yeah okay okay um yeah and then a further step beyond that is what's called the acceptance model to mm-hmm. say all paths may lead to god and no one can affirm with absolute uh you know conclusive black and white that their faith is true um but that it's kind of a pluralist perspective it's like i Yes, I maybe would call myself a Christian, but I can no way confirm that I think Christianity is true. I, I accept that, you know, another faith, that each faith has its own own piece of the puzzle. So kind of similar to that previous one. Um, but it's it's a lot more kind of speculative and a little yeah. bit more postmodern yeah. to yeah. say, um, all paths may lead to God. And it's kind of a rel- yeah relativist to say no one really has the final authority, no one has the final answer. So those are kind of four varying degrees. So once again, replacement model is, okay, if you're a Christian, Christianity is the final authority. It's not really worth looking into other religions, maybe a little bit, and maybe people can kind of get bits and pieces of what Christianity has. But um, really, you know, if you want salvation, if you want to know God, Christianity is the only channel to do that. There's the fulfillment model, which kind of has a little bit more nuance and says, hey, actually, people can experience God. People can maybe even experience salvation and revelation yeah, in these yeah. realities in another faith. Um, I, you know, a fulfillment model person would probably still hold that Christ is kind of the foundation and that the Christianity core, is the yeah, core. Uh-huh. Um, but that 
yeah, there are other paths to God. There are probably, a fulfillment person would probably say, there's probably other paths to God. I think I found one that works, <laughs> and but I'm really open to learning about God from other people. Mm. Um, and then the mutuality, which is kind of the piece of the puzzle, and then acceptance, which is more relativist to say, no one really knows, and so I'm going to hold this faith and, and really lean into the interreligious dialogue. Mm. But what you'll notice is, with three of those four, an essential piece of them is interreligious dialogue. And even in all four, depending on how you would interpret them, in all four postures, there's an element that understanding other faiths and interacting with other faiths is actually key to understanding your own. Um, Huh, yeah. So, I'm going to take a step back for a second. That's a lot of information, kind of giving you that four four scale of four different postures you can take. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a little soapbox here for a minute. but <laughs> please, um, please. It's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is a common thing that I think a lot of... I hear a lot of times from celebrities here in the United States. Yeah. It's a very popular kind of, um, you know, 21st century mindset. I've heard it been... I've heard it called all theism instead of atheism, all theism. But it's okay. kind of this idea you maybe have heard people say. Maybe you have friends who think this way. Maybe you think this way. Um... But people will say, you know, at the end of the day, religion is just kind of, it's cool. People can believe what they want. You know, I'm not really about religion. I think all paths kind of lead to God. You know, it's like we're all, it's, religion is just all kind of the same thing, right? We're all trying to reach God and no one really has it figured out, but. You're all just practicing differently, like with the same goals. Yeah, it's all the same thing, just in different, yeah, Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter how you approach it. I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb here and make a, a statement and say I think that is actually a very ignorant way to view the world. Mm. Um, and maybe not ignorant in the way that you think I'm going to say it's ignorant. But to say that you know all religions are pretty much the same thing. There's not really a huge difference between them and they're all just trying to do the same thing in different ways. To say that is to basically refute almost all religious traditions, right? Yeah. So if I say all religions are the same, then I'm saying what? That Jesus is the son of God, but also that Muhammad the prophet is, you know, he's the one who received the revelation from Allah. But those two things can't exactly exist in the same thing. And I'm also saying that the Hindu understanding of divinity is also the same mm. as the Buddhist perspective of the divine. And I'm saying that they're all the same thing, and even that, though... And from the modern Jew, like Jewish perspective that Jesus was not the Messiah, yeah. despite Christian yeah. belief that Jesus is the Messiah, so, and Muslim belief that Jesus was a prophet, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. While it, it, has, it has the guise of being very inclusive, right? Oh, it's so inclusive, it's so forward-thinking. Oh, it's just peaceful towards everyone. Mm. Really, you're dismissing everyone. You're dismissing huh. traditions that are thousands of years old. You're dismissing wow. all of Islamic history to say, it's just the same thing as Christianity. Guarantee you, ask almost any Muslim or any Christian, is this the same exact thing as being Sikh or being Hindu? No, it's not. It's a unique thing, and each of them make exclusive claims in different ways Mm. to how they understand God, how they understand the divine, how these things interact. What is a prophet? What is a prophet's role? Um, All of these different pieces are very unique and they have millions and millions, in some cases billions of followers across Mm -hmm. the world. Thousands of years of tradition, thousands of years of, you know, theologizing and literature and commentaries and and movements. Studying and clashing and cooperating with these different faiths, right? Like we aren't, we aren't the, we aren't living for the first time Mm -hmm. in a place where these religions and people of faith are interacting. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So then... (laughs) That you have figured it out and that the answer is, oh, they're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's almost, uh, it's a little absurd yeah. just to, to kind of yeah. take that stuff. Yeah, just yeah. what you said. Picture all of those years of history, all those traditions, and now a 20-year-old undergrad student strolls into a religious studies classroom <laughs> and says, well, you know... Well, there's nothing wrong with 20-year-old undergraduates. Nothing wrong with... Uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, or, you know, whoever, the famous... Um, like, I've heard the lead singer of Coldplay say this. I love Coldplay. They make <laughs> yeah. pretty good music. But I've heard him say this, and it's like, oh, okay, Chris Martin, lead singer of Coldplay... He is now the foremost authority on all things religious, and he just declared that all of those years it's of history, it's Don't all arbitrary, doesn't mean anything. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> really, even though, it's like I said, it sounds inclusive, when you actually think about the statement and its meaning, you're essentially dismissing hmm. rich traditions of culture and history and saying that they're all kind of in vain because it's all just kind of doesn't really matter. 
Um, yeah. It's kind of nihilistic, actually. It's ignorant and nihilistic, and I, I don't Ooh. think it's a it's a. I, yeah, I said it. Uh, I don't think it's an accurate representation of religion. I don't think it's a positive way to interact in the world. Yeah. Um, and with that, with the idea of interreligious dialogue, right? Uh, I feel like a lot of those folks would also love the idea of interreligious dialogue. But if you don't subscribe to any religious worldview whatsoever, don't how see value in diversity of religion? Yeah. Like, what's the what's the point? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't see any value in that, then you can't have interreligious dialogue because that means two or more religions have to be interacting. And if you think they're all the same, then what's the point? Okay, you can just listen to other people and nod your head to everything. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. It's very, very ignorant. Um, hmm. But on the same side, I'm going to now turn the knife around. Yeah, Double-edged sword. In the same way, I think a lot of times... Um, to completely dismiss any other religion or expression of divinity is also incredibly ignorant. Um, and I know a lot of people probably just tensed up, like, wait, are you saying, right? We always do that in our head. I do that all the time. <laughs> wait, does that mean you're saying, well, I didn't, all I said is, I think it's also very ignorant to either acknowledge that all religions are the same thing in the same path, or that all religions except yours Hmm. are just completely bogus baloney, right? Sure. I think we need a little bit more nuanced perspective. I think we need to spend a little more time digging into this, and we need to maybe have a better understanding of what we're saying when we're saying that, because it's really ignorant to just wash away all of these, as we mentioned, very rich history, very rich cultural, Hmm. thousands of years of practice. The majority of people in the world right now are religious the vast majority of people are religious subscribe to a religious ideology Mm -hmm. um so to come along and say either that you have the final decision on all things religious and your particular interpretation and denomination of your religion is the final word on all things related to god is very very ignorant and dangerous and then to say they're all the same and don't matter is also very ignorant and dangerous Mm. i would caution you if that's your underlying approach to religion I think you're going to miss out on some of the really cool things. Well, and I think additionally, it, it displays almost a uh, an unwillingness to to care for uh, your neighbor on a deeper level, right? Um, I I think especially here in the United States, we're already an incredibly diverse country. We have been since our foundation, and we're getting more and more diverse ethnically, religiously, especially for this context. Um, and if you don't know someone who uh, holds a different faith belief than you do, uh, I can almost guarantee you that uh, at some point you're absolutely going to. Yep. Uh, you're absolutely going to be working with someone in a professional environment, in a academic environment, in some sort of space where someone is believing something very different from you. Um, and if you come from a tradition or if you've been raised in a way in which you're supposed to care for everybody, if you're supposed to treat people with respect and show love and show compassion, I think it's very difficult to do that while uh, at the same time you're dismissing every single thing they believe. You're not willing to take them seriously. You're not willing to consider what they believe uh, on the basis of them being someone of value, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think especially speaking as a, a, a Christian, it's important to me to care for and to take seriously and to study other faiths um, because it shows I care for the people of that faith yeah. because I want to understand them. I want to understand them from their perspective, yep. not just the, my assumptions. Yeah. Right? And I don't have to, I don't have to you know, uh, disavow everything I believe in order to do that. I think mm-hmm. far from it. I think it encourages what I believe. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's essential that you have to you have to pay attention. You have to study these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you said it perfectly, Patrick. It's, um, it is important to have a, a, an understanding on that. So one quote from Paul Nitter, the guy I mentioned that actually yes. exemplifies what you just said really well mm. is this is dialogue. And I'm going to quickly define dialogue. When I say that dialogue is more than just having conversation, right? So dialogue yeah. is not in this context, in a religious dialogue is not just, an imam and a pastor having conversation, right? I mean, that's great. That is a form of interreligious dialogue. Sure. But dialogue is is basically the entire posture and the mm. whole of action and words towards someone of another faith. So think about dialogue as your posture. So with that in mind, here's a quote. Uh, dialogue is a way to take the other person seriously as a fellow human being. 
It is a mark of humility, sensitivity, and common courtesy to followers mm. of other faiths. After yeah. all, whatever the theological judgment on these persons regarding their state of salvation, they are children of God whom Christians are called to love and respect. So what to talk about? Um, so if you believe in the Christian faith, then that means you believe every single human being is made in the image of God. Yeah. So whether or not they agree with your perspective of divinity, they are a human being that deserves respect um, and that deserves to be listened to, to be heard, to be entered into a posture of dialogue with, um, with the intention of, you know, loving that person and, and giving them compassion. Mm. Um, and that really is the mark of the best part of religion, right? Yeah. The best yeah. aim of all religions is to, to have a, a knowledge of that. One quote from uh, the Buddha, so he said, without love and compassion, there can be no justice right mm. so if you don't have love for somebody else if you have no compassion then you can't experience justice you can't experience equity you can't experience um the the flourishing of the world if you don't right have back. those fundamental yeah. things yeah. and that's also a very christ-like thing to say as well i think sure. it's a very oh, yeah. very christian yeah. perspective yeah. as well um so once again kind of to characterize these two those are two extremes that maybe you find yourself in um to dig a little bit deeper into that, um, uh, one perspective to think about this, and this is kind of a, it's a little bit of a cliche, or a, um, Paul Nitter calls it a Zen cliche, so it's something that comes from maybe a Zen, a more Chinese tradition, but mm. basically it describes, and this is true, so maybe this is offensive to you, maybe it's not, um, but I think it's I think it's true from all religious perspectives. All of our language about God, if God is real, right, if there is a divine being or reality that we are meant to understand and meant to, um, you know, interact with, then all of our language about God is so limited. It's so, Mm -hmm. like, even, even the amounts of truth that we understand are just, as Paul would say, it's looking through a mirror darkly, right? Like, you can't actually, you can't actually fully understand divinity if, if it exists and if it's real, there's no way that you could fully understand Grasp it. that, con- like the identity, yeah. the concept. The, yeah. yeah. So essentially all language about God is a finger pointing at the moon. So think mm. about that for a minute. All language about God, all religious perspectives, as valuable and important and true as they can often be, mm. if God is the moon, all of our attempts to create systems and belief systems and understand revelation, salvation, all these things, is us taking a finger and pointing it at the moon. In contrast to the moon, that finger is so inadequate. <laughs> it's so limited. It's so small. Huh. Um, yeah. And yet, it's still worth it. It's still worth doing that. But I would say, be smart and be cautious and understand that when you make a claim about faith and religion, and you make a claim about somebody else's faith, that at the end of the day, you are a finger pointing at the moon, <laughs> and you can think that your finger is, you know, coming from a really good space with and a lot of it, it very, could be like it very possibly from is, yeah. a really historically grounded tradition mm-hmm. or from a really powerful denomination or you know you name it that hey i think this is actually a really good guess this is a really good aim and i'm i'm gonna shoot for the moon here but you're still shooting for the moon <laughs> when you make any claim about god and, and in doing so you know for every reason that that you feel valid as to you know why you're pointing in that direction at that specific thing uh, there's a million other reasons as to why someone else will feel just as valid in their belief as to why they're also pointing at that thing from a yeah. different perspective. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. That's so cool. while you're pointing a finger at the moon, interreligious dialogue is to look to your left and your right and see what other people are, you know, thinking about they, when they yeah, when they're they trying to that? reach the moon, when they're trying to to understand this reality Mm. what are their attempts at that and maybe you don't agree with it and maybe you're going to hold more that first perspective we talked about more of an exclusive i don't really think there's a lot of value in that but it would still be really important to know what other you know kind of what someone else is is thinking about And even if you come to that conclusion that's still that's still right a level of of, that's that's a statement that you've made on Mm -hmm. interreligious dialogue Mm -hmm. right you can't you can't pass it off because that itself is a statement yeah 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 Yeah, even and just like we said last episode where to say that you don't want to be political is political yeah so too to say that all other religions are invalid or they all are valid is a religious perspective in and of itself yeah 
And so, yeah, whether you like it or not, you have a theology of comparative religion. Mm. Like you do inherently. So to recognize, hey, what is that and where does that come from? Does it come from a place of ignorance? Does it come from a place of just not knowing better? Mm. Does it come from a place of just a lack of knowledge because a lack of, you know, you, maybe you've never met anyone who's Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Sikh mm-hmm. or Catholic or whatever. Um, and so if it comes from one of those places, hey, maybe it's important to kind of get some more nuance and understand your own finger pointing at the moon, your own tradition, your own denomination, your own view of revelation, scripture, divinity, all these things, so that you can then make, you know, valid claims and actually enter. And it's the same thing Mm -hmm. I said earlier. You can't dialogue with another religion if you don't have a place that you're coming from, right? If you don't have a piece of the puzzle or you don't claim to have a piece of the puzzle, then you can't join in that. And so... But it's important to actually have something that you're bringing to the table. So mm-hmm. as a Christian, me dialogue, dialoguing with someone who's Muslim, you know, I'm still going to, I don't have to sacrifice my belief as a Christian. No, I don't have yeah, to go completely relativistic and just say, oh, I, you know, not, I don't believe any of this to be true. It's all super subjective. It means nothing. Well, <laughs> then I can't really have a dialogue because I don't think it means anything. No, sure. I, think, I think my faith means something. I think I've come to the views I have because of education and research, but I also recognize that I'm still a finger pointing at the mood and there are pieces that I'm probably missing. And when I enter into a relationship with someone and dialogue with somebody um, who is a part of a different faith, I'm opening myself up to the reality that maybe the God I believe in is bigger than I think he is. Like mm. if God is really huge and if the div- if divinity is really as massive and all encompassing and full of love, impossible concept, to, impossible grasp, concept yeah. then you bet that divinity is inter- that God I would say God is interacting with you bet that God is involved in people's lives in all faiths mm-hmm. in all places right that's one of the fundamental wow. things in missions and intercultural studies if you're a missionary you're going to somewhere else mm-hmm. to interact with people um, God has already gone there before you that's something I fully believe mm-hmm. so people that wow. think oh I'm going on this mission trip to Africa and think they're taking Jesus I'm in their suitcase God. right yeah. <laughs> sorry bro he's already surprise. there <laughs> surprise He's already there. If he's who you says, if you, if he's who you say he is, Christianity right? Christianity has been around in Africa, perhaps even longer than. Yes, it was probably there before your country even existed. Actually, almost guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly to say, um, yeah, to think that you have the authority and that you're bringing the final answer on these things is really yeah. can be really um, missing. So all that to say, once again, kind of the beginning framework, I think I'll now kind of talk specifically about maybe my perspective on this, yeah, please. just to get a little bit more personal and to understand where I'm coming from with that. Um, and so one thing I want to even list as a challenge, especially to people that are listening who are maybe Christian, is uh, in my view, Christians think about you have to take seriously jesus's statement so one verse in scripture christian scripture that you might be thinking of Mm -hmm. as i'm talking that maybe is making you kind of cringe or clutch your pearls right is didn't jesus say i'm the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through me in john 14 chapter 6 he says that right um and as a christian yeah i believe jesus said that he said i am the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through me so that even that verse has informed a lot of interreligious dialogue people will say yes what you believe about god is worth learning and I respect you as a person mm. but I believe that I have the only way to the Father, the only way to Jesus divinity, which Christ. is Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so, that you know, that is a valid worldview to have and to espouse. That's a valid foundation to have and, and to really hold on to. If that's your perspective on interreligious dialogue, great. Get to know it better. Understand how it interacts with different claims of other Absolutely. religions. Yeah. But you also, so I take that verse very seriously. I'm not dismissing that. Um, but you also have to think about another statement Jesus made where he said I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd and that's four chapters before he said I'm the way the truth and the life in the same book in John wow. John chapter yeah. 10 so um, and yeah you could you know we could talk about the language in the context of these different passages and what's and that's important. You know, you should do that, that work. Yeah. Um, but even just those to take those two statements as they are, those are almost intention in a lot of ways, right? Like they create tensions that the other mm. one don't resolve. And yeah. they kind of, in my yeah. mind, they kind of hit together and rub together and create a unique tension to say, Jesus says he's the only way to the Father, but he also says that people are invited to the kingdom that we don't know about. Like there are people who know 
God and have experienced divinity outside of the traditional boundaries that, we've that we think as, as they people, have. As people yeah. of God, yeah. And this is something that was actually very controversial that C.S. Lewis, the author, explored in his children's book series. Yes! Um, so if anyone's read The Chronicles of Narnia, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. In the, in the last book, The Last Battle. Last Battle. Uh, Which I think is an underrated. I think it gets a lot yeah. of a lot of heat because it kind of delves into a little bit of Lewis's eschatology mm-hmm. in an abstract con- concept. But I I really love the book. I think it's a great book. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth reading. Um, and you know, in that book, there's kind of this people group who worship this other god that's not the lion, Aslan, not Aslan, right? Yeah. And it's this kind of really monstrous creature that they give sacrifices to and sure, they sure. they offer to it. So. That's just laying groundwork if you haven't read the book or it's been a long time. In the very end, you know, C.S. Lewis kind of writes this fantasy version of heaven or, like, the end times, right? It's like a better Narnia. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like the ver- the world they've been living in, but even better. And it's they're getting to meet Aslan and, and spend time with him face-to-face. Mm. And it's this beautiful picture. But in this place is someone who is a follower of the other god, yeah. the monster deity, right? Who we've met. Who we've met yeah. and uh-huh. we've characterized as the villain. Yeah. And in heaven, they meet this man who spent his whole life giving sacrifices and living in a posture towards this God that wasn't a real God. And C.S. Lewis, who is a widely accepted, you know, theologian, philosopher, whatever category you want to give him. You know, mo- author, a lot of yeah. most mainstream evangelical Christians love C.S. Lewis, right? For good reason. For good reason. Yeah, um, yeah he had a said a lot of really good things and was an important voice in, in the Christian faith. Yeah. But he says, you know, he writes this in his book. Okay, here's a guy who was worshiping the quote-unquote wrong God the whole time, and yet when the invitation comes to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Narnia, he's with them in <laughs> yeah. the garden, right? Yeah. And they ask him, you know, they're wondering, what, how does this happen? And C.S. Lewis explains it as basically... And Aslan says to this character in the book, I'm not going to directly quote it because it's been a long time since I read it, sure, but sure. you can go back and read it. It's great. He says, basically, when you were worshiping this other god, you were having compassion. You were doing so with love. You were mm-hmm. living in a way that you didn't know you were honoring and worshiping me, but you were the whole time. So what you did unto this other god, you were unknowingly doing to me. And so you're invited to the party, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're welcome because you lived the best life and had the best posture and you know tried to operate your life in a way that was characterized by everything that i am even though you didn't have the full knowledge of who and what it is that i am yeah but you're still invited um and that's powerful to say and c.s lewis wrote about that and and questioned that and poked a hole in that and kind of you know for good reason and it's it's an important question to ask so if even if you believe i have the final word on salvation and on eternity and on scripture and on all these things um, you might need to, <laughs> to keep an open mind about yeah some of that. maybe yeah. somebody else does huh. um wait I, are you hang on <laughs> aslan's jeez wait who's that he i thought he was just a lion that we really liked I'm, aslan is meant to be jesus in crazy the book. yeah never totally crazy <laughs> um another thing i'll bring up anyway. is just to kind of once again challenge you poke a hole in yeah, whatever it is your your perspective absolutely. is coming to this episode so one thing i've heard and i've said this this is a cliche within christianity people mm. will say well two things i'm gonna i'm gonna attack two christian cliches here hopefully we're okay let's with do this. it let's do it one is uh people will say christianity is not a religion it's a relationship right Ooh, yeah oh i've heard that one you've said that right patrick i might have i might have said that a couple times i think i've seen a lot of like i've seen that on like the back of cars maybe a few times too like on bumper stickers and yeah yeah Yeah, christianity is not a religion it's a relationship um (laughs) i don't know how else to to respond to this other than to say that's not true (laughs) christianity is absolutely a religion by every sense of the word every categorization and once again for you to say and once again i'm implicating myself here i've said this before i've taught this before um but for you to say all of these thousands of years of church history, right? The Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, these traditions that have existed in places that have been around longer. Like the early American Church, the early Protestant Church, right? Early yeah. Christian revivalism. I mean, all of this stuff. Every piece of far it. Back. Yeah. yeah. All of these thousands of years of theologizing and church history and the way that this belief system has developed over the years. What you're basically doing when you say that statement is 
None of that really matters. What matters is that I have a relationship with Jesus. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And I don't have to think about it more than that. Yep. <laughs> Where even that very statement exists because of thousands of years of religious history to give you the heritage and the inheritance of faith to be able to say that. And a pretty right? recent historical push towards like this individualization of religion, yes. personal relationship over, yeah. you know, communal worship. Yeah. Which is in itself, I mean, that's a, a theological doctrine, mm-hmm. right? To say that you know, the relationship matters more than the practice. And that's a religious belief. Yes. So, <laughs> sorry. It's a fun, catchy phrase. I've definitely said it a I've couple times. I've definitely said it, yeah. Um, yeah. It is a fun, catchy phrase. And I think it <laughs> illustrates something that can be true, right? It, it can be a claim that has truth to it. But yeah, I would say I be careful. I mean, relationship with Christ is a key component of Christianity. Christian Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but once again, to say it is pretty dismissive to say that... Um, all of these other things that are very much religious in nature, mm. they don't really matter. What matters is that right now in 2020, I have a relationship this episode. with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it is marked by time, but you know, I have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Like, sorry, well, once again, that's kind of red flag territory. You're mm-hmm. in a pretty dangerous place if you're dismissing the thousands of years of church history. You realize that if people didn't spend their lives learning different languages and translating these scriptures mm. and pass and starting churches and you know taking this message and taking this religion to every continent across the globe and interacting with other religions and I mean I could go on and on if people didn't spend all that time and effort you wouldn't even know about Christianity it wouldn't even exist mm. but people gave their lives same thing with most other religions people have given their lives to steward these texts to steward these traditions mm. and pass mm. them on so for then, then for you to come along and say, oh, it's not a religion. It's not about any of that. Well, you can't say that without any of that that came <laughs> it's before. Not your, it's not your place to say that, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A second point that I think is important to remember, another statement that I've said about Christianity that mm. I've later learned is not fully 100% true, mm. um, is, you know, people will characterize other religions. Once again, very dismissive to say, all other religions are man trying to reach God, right? Like, all other religions are work-based and are people trying to do things to please God. Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down to reaches us. Reaches out right? to us, yeah. Um, and once again, that statement is powerful. It has elements of it that are true. Um, but, fun Talking fact... about the incarnation of, yes. of God in the human of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And the importance of that. Sure. And that is something sure. that is unique yeah. about Christianity. Absolutely. But, fun fact, um, within Hindu traditions, there are... Um, incarnations and avatars where the hindu gods or the hindu pieces of the one divine reality incarnate themselves among men there's even a particular incarnation who comes to earth and dies in order to redeem and save Hmm. other people um and so in 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 the hindu perspective god which they wouldn't use, probably use that word God, sure, um, but sure. the divine, the divine reality uh-huh. actually becomes physical and comes to earth and helps people that are in need. That's a part of their tradition, part of their perspective. Hmm. Um, so to say that I'm the only, my religion is the only one where God reaches out to me and loves me and forgives me. Um, it's not, it's not the only faith that believes that the way that, Jesus and that narrative is characterized is unique and there are pieces that unique but it's not the only religion where God comes down to earth because Hindus have been believing that for a long 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 time Mm. um, and have you know are very steeped in that tradition understand that so once again those two things are just to kind of be careful with these cliches and maxims which make us feel like as a Christian feel like I really have the, the right answer here, and I get yeah, to be proud of yeah. that. And I'm gonna mis- I'm gonna dismiss all other faith traditions. Absolutely. Um, when do you really know what those other faith traditions say? I know I didn't. I said that all the time. I used well, to. Well, and that. is like, how difficult is it for one person to know every you know tenet, every doctrine, every maxim of every faith? Sure. Right. So to to say with authority, this one faith believes this thing, and no other faith believes anything like it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's dangerous because I can't even imagine how likely it is that that's not true. Yeah. Right. I yeah. Mean, even as someone like I've studied a limited amount of some specific religions, and I'm I still hesitate to pass assumptions about these because 
like to, to a certain extent, it's not my place to say what is or isn't true about a faith that's not mine. Yes. But it's also, I mean, each faith is so complex, so nuanced. I think it's really dangerous to, to make base assumptions without trying to fully understand it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Most of the things that I find myself saying about my own faith are not true for every member of my faith, right? Sure. I can't sure. even speak consistently and with authority about Christianity is this because there's Orthodox Christians, there's Catholic Christians, there's Protestant Christians, and there's a million divisions yeah. within those of different schools of thought. So for me to say, even for me to say, um, you know, uh, the book of Genesis is a science, it's scientific in nature, and it's telling us the truth about science and creation, or it's telling us the truth about history, it's a historical reality, not all Christians believe that or no. agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying I believe those things, but those are things that's that I've... Just as an example, yeah. As an example, you know, you could say, well, yes, the book of Genesis is a historical book telling historical truths. Adam and Eve are physical, real people. Not all Christians agree with you on that. So you can't even make authoritative claims that are all-encompassing about your own religion. How on earth do you think you can do that about other religions that you know way less about? Be careful. Be very careful with that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so then to, to get further into kind of my own perspective, like where mm. I've kind of landed and where I'm still developing this yeah, area. Yeah. Um, there's one really big development that I mentioned a little bit earlier in church history, and it is the um, the Second Vatican Council, which happened in the mm-hmm. 60s. Yep. And so it's when the Catholic, Catholic church, church. Yeah, the leaders of the Catholic Church met together and they actually proposed a statement and a a postural shift within the whole catholic church on it's a doctrinal statement yeah it's a, about, statement it's a on, new doctrine on what they believe the faith mm-hmm. they practice how they practice it yeah and part of this council one of the, the biggest things that came out of this council is their new statement on i mean relatively new you know in the last hundred years on other faiths and other religions so before this council um, in you know a lot of people who are still alive today's lifetimes, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church believed that the only way to God, the only way to salvation, is through the Church, hmm. it's through the Catholic Church. If you're not Catholic, if you're not baptized in the Catholic Church, then you have no claim to salvation or relationship. So with that would God. fall under the is that the replacement theology that you were talking about? The yeah, first yeah, that, it, it was much more exclusive. Exactly. Exclusivist. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then with this change and i'm not a catholic historian or theologian so i'm i'm you know probably giving once again i'm generalizing here broad but strokes broad yeah broad strokes. strokes but with with this statement they actually came out and said something that is more of a um, fulfillment perspective hmm. which was the second one that i mentioned earlier and they actually released a statement saying hey other religions can have the truth other religions can experience the truth they can have hmm. access to god and it's even possible for people to experience maybe what the Catholic Church would define as salvation in another faith, right? And this huh. is this is a huge shift. And as I've studied yeah, this and gotten into this, I've actually found that my personal perspective on other religions is a little bit more Catholic and a little less Protestant. Based on Vatican II? Yes. Catholic, based okay. On, wow. Based on the more recent development. So huh. whereas I think I spent a lot of my life with a replacement model idea. Okay. It's like, I'm Christian and Muslims and Hindus are just really, they're wrong, they're mistaken, and they are in some ways the enemy, right? So mm-hmm. I had an us versus them perspective. Yeah. As I've grown deeper in my understanding of those faiths and understanding of my own faith, I've come to realize that um, if God really is who I say he is, then he is big enough to show up in any faith, in any tradition, in any culture, in any world. Just like I mentioned mm-hmm. as a missionary, I have to recognize that anywhere I'm going to spread the good news or to share about Jesus or to start a church or mm-hmm. to whatever, I have to recognize that that is not a solo mission. I have to recognize that God is present. And if he's present in those places... Is there first before yeah, you. Yeah. Then he has power to bring people already there. to the kingdom, to salvation, to... Um, you know, to knowing him. People can have a relationship of God with God, even if on paper, they're Muslim, they're Hindu, they're, they're not explicitly Christian. Yeah. Right? Even though, um, even if they don't fit yeah. in my sheep pen that I like and I'm comfortable with, I think Jesus acknowledges that there are people who aren't in my sheep pen that are still a part of the greater sheep pen, right? Yeah. Like they're still a part of the greater yeah. reality. So I've I've come to that realization that. In my mind, Christianity is the fulfillment of, um, you know, pursuit after God. I think that Christ is the final word. I think he is the foundation yeah. of 
you know, what it means to experience a relationship with God. But I also know, I also believe that, um, you know, people that don't have that same opinion can still know and love and experience God in ways that are even beyond my comprehension that I could learn from. So my posture has had to shift from... Uh, and, and even that, like, the people who uh, are raised and live and exist in a context that is not primarily uh, a Christian-based context can still receive God's grace and still receive an element of God's love and truth from that, right? I think, I think that's a... Yeah, that's a big thing that I've, I've worked through for a while as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mentioned this in my the episode about my own journey, but even recognizing that my posture towards my friend who's Muslim or my friend who's Hindu or my friend who's Sikh is actually to respect and love them and even defend them or come to their side mm-hmm. in a country that doesn't always respect and love them, yeah. that the most Christ-like thing I can do to love my neighbor is actually to validate that their pursuit of God is that it's a pursuit of God and while I may not agree with everything on paper Mm -hmm. and I think Jesus is the fulfillment of religion and he is the fulfillment of salvation and and Mm -hmm. relationship with God I also am it would be so ignorant to dismiss that they have no connection to God no experience with him no knowledge of true true truths of of things that are true that that can then inform Mm -hmm. me an example is I got to do a research project in um in Indiana here with mm-hmm. a Hindu temple and I got to talk with someone uh, who is Hindu and yeah. grew up with that religion and is a big community advocate for that temple and that community here okay. in the Midwest and listening to that person's story was one of the most impactful things of my entire life and wow. I heard things part of that story that helped me understand my faith better and it helped me relate to God better mm-hmm. and it sounded like a lot of things that I've heard in Christian circles and mm-hmm. it was like strangely very strangely oddly close to what a lot of um, my my experience and knowledge of Mm. christianity and of conversion and those types of things look like is i I was hearing those same things happening in for someone who was hindu and they taught me more about my god that i've believed in my whole life right growing up christian going to seminary have a degree and a half in religion (laughs) been all over the world and met christians all over the world and yet here, this Hindu person in Indiana is t- telling me more about my own faith wow. by sharing theirs. Yeah, That's beautiful. To me, that's like the perfect picture of interreligious dialogue is mm. saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I-, I believe these things. I believe these things about Jesus. But when I sit across from you, I'm going to have an open enough mind to recognize that the ways you've experienced God have truth and that they have the power. I believe God is big enough that he's a part of your life. I'm not going to dismiss it. Right? Yeah, I'm yeah, not going to say, this. well, that's yeah. great. That's your path to God. Or uh, I have the final authority on, and you're just you're just dead wrong. I'm not going to, I'm going to plug my ears and not listen to anything you have to say because mm-hmm. you're just dead wrong. Both of those extremes are, I would have missed out on that peace that I think God wanted me to see yeah. and wanted me to recognize and relate with. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I uh, have written about and, and just thought about is um, in my view the kingdom of God is so big and all-encompassing that I believe the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of other religious worldviews um, but it's not necessarily the only place that grace or even salvation can be experienced on earth hmm. so for a devout Muslim who's seeking to honor Allah with their lives the reality of God's kingdom I think is still good news for them um, hmm. and it's not for me as an individual Christian to determine or declare how they might work out their own salvation with fear and trembling as as Paul would put it hmm. so the message of God's kingdom is one it's about adoption it's about grace it's not about condemnation separation and us versus them hmm. and um, yeah the divine saving love and presence cannot be limited to Christianity although I believe that Christ remains the fulfillment of religion so yeah Ooh. That's kind of my perspective. That's where I'm planting a flag in the sand. It'll yeah. probably be moved as I get older and change because it was not that way five, six years ago. Sure, it is that way now. Sure. Um, but I would encourage you, hey, go on this journey yourself. Ask these questions. Pick up another religious text. I can almost guarantee you that, uh, you know, it's not going to put a curse on you to, like, read about the Quran, read about the Bhagavad Gita, God read about... you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it actually expresses a great love of neighbor yeah, and love of yeah, others definitely. to take what they believe and who they are seriously and mm-hmm. understand that. While you can have your exclusive claims and you can have your 
worldview mm. um, that if God is really who you say he is, that he's big enough to be present in other people's lives in ways that are going to surprise you. Guarantee yeah. it's going to surprise you. So that's that's it. That's, that's the, the theology of other religions. Thank Hopefully you. it's given you a lot to think about. That was a lot. Yeah. A lot to tackle there. <laughs> that was good. I feel like you need like a glass of water after all of I that. do. I need to take a nap. Man. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully that was interesting. Yeah, please. Uh, thank you. Feedback is great. We love yeah, let it, us know so what you think. If you think we should have talked more about something or should have shut up about something else, please tell us and we'll... Uh, We'll consider yeah, it. If more, you more are really upset about the things I've said and want to send me Bible verses in the King James Version, actually send those on to Patrick. He'll make sure they get to me. Uh, his <laughs> phone that, number is... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs>